0: This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. This podcast is Shareable. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard, commonly known as the world's most handsome strategist and professional speaker. I'm also a superhero. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single Shareable episode. And that's it. That's the intro. Short and sweet. Let's get to the show. Today on Shareable, you're going to be hearing a very familiar voice. And if you were watching, which you can't really do, you would see a very familiar face. If you listen to my other podcast where I have uh, co-hosts, the podcast called Heroic Council, uh, the voice today will be very familiar to you. And if you listen to my other podcast, Rogue, you will notice that uh, my guest today was my very first guest on Rogue. Uh, She's a very close friend of mine. She's someone who... uh, I would call my business best friend. She calls me her business best friend. And um, we just, uh, we're, we're constantly in contact. And I thought it would be a blast to bring her on the show and talk about what it is that she does. So today, I'd like to welcome Sarah O'Hannison to Shareable. It has been a long time coming, but you are here now. Welcome, Sarah.
1: Thank you so much, Jeff. And I have been a longtime listener of the podcast. So for me, while we're good friends, I'm sort of fanning out because it's it's cool to be a part of this now, a different part of your world.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. I remember you were on my early list of people that I promoted Shareable to before it came out when I had like the trailer and everything. I was like, well, obviously I have to tell Sarah about it. So um, you and I have known each other since 2011 when uh, we were introduced uh, through uh, a, a mutual colleague, I guess you could say who was working on your website and brought me in and we started working together while you were at um, Julian Krinsky camps and programs mm-hmm. uh, at the time working in uh, marketing, elevating to the level of CMO later on. And we've just kept in touch this whole time. I think you and I are, are an interesting case study in like, you can actually make friends with the people that you get to work with. Um, so I'm really appreciative of that. I'm really glad to have you on the show today. I want to talk about a couple different things with you that I think our listeners will find interesting. Uh, the first of which is I want to talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial real journey because you are um, a really interesting case for people who have, who are potentially working a job right now and thinking about jumping ships, do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's a good place for us to play. And I definitely want to dig deep into productivity. Uh, when you were on Rogue, we got to very lightly skim the service on pieces of it. Today, I want to go a little bit deeper. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously, wherever the conversation takes us. <laughs> so let's start here. You came out of school uh, Villanova, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Villanova. And, um, you, you get this job. I know you had some internships and various things, but like the, the big, the big leap is JKCP, right? Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about what that background was. What was the work that you were doing? What did you start doing? And then kind of towards the end, what would you say your role looked like? So just kind of take us through kind of the summary of that
1: part of your career. Yeah. Well, and I think it was a really interesting time to have a career in marketing because as you know well, Jeff, marketing changed so much. So I started working in 2005 and social media was this thing that was vague. People didn't really know what it was. How do we use this? And it was a little bit of the wild west. And then by time I you know, transitioned to being an entrepreneur, it my, my role in marketing just was, was so rapidly changing all the time. So the cool part of my career was that it was constantly changing, constantly evolving. You can never get bored if you work in this space. And so that was a really cool way for me to just grow and learn and evolve. And I'm so grateful because Now that I'm an entrepreneur and I'm responsible for doing all of these things really on my own, the foundation that I built in marketing has just been a tremendous, you know, again, foundation to build me up to, you know, to have the success I'm having today. So um, just a really tremendous experience. I started as as really like a part-time hourly intern and I... I think it was rare for someone of my generation to stay with one company for that long. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed it so much though so because it it pushed me and it challenged me and it and it forced me to grow. And I and I forced it to grow. Um, and it really became something wonderful. And and to be the CMO of such a great organization was really just, you know, an honor and, and just a wonderful career path for me.
0: So because you were working in an industry that Um, And and specifically in a company that had been around, I think at the time you joined, it was more than 20 years that the organization had been around. Mm -hmm. And this is prior to, you know, even companies largely using websites, right? Like we're, we're talking like it started back in the day where it was just direct mail. It was like very old school. So you've got this organization that has deep roots in traditional marketing and it starts to become... Uh, an organization that has to kind of uh, adapt with the times you come in and you're accountable in the marketing role for doing a lot of different things. You had brochures to create, you had websites to maintain, you had social media to think about, then came content. And then later on you became HubSpot certified and like all of these different things that you had to take on. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how you were... uh, how did you adapt to that? Because coming out of school, were you coming out thinking that you were going to be a marketer? Did you think that the there was a certain set of skills that you were going to have to leverage here? You know, because you really got dropped into like, hey, here's the wealth of marketing. And I think a lot of marketers these days have the benefit to a certain extent of really specializing where you got dropped into a role where you had to learn a little bit of everything, even stuff now that we look at and we're like, oh, that's quaint, a brochure. But yeah. you had all of these things and you had to kind of adapt to them. How did, how did you do that? How were, do you think that you were prepared for that coming out of school and and kind of what did you learn from it?
1: Okay. So to be fair to Villanova, I loved my education. I think Villanova was an amazing place, but, you know, and I think when, when you, when you were in that time, we're talking about 2005, everything was transitioning from kind of the old way of doing things into this new digital way. So, you know, we were in school learning how to, I have a concentration in public relations. We were learning how to make sure that the AP style was in all of the press releases that we were writing because we're gonna fax them to newspapers. Okay. So that's what I learned in school. And again, I love Villanova. I learned so much inside and out of the classroom. But when I think about setting me up for marketing, it was really a challenge. So when I got into the the real world and the, you know, the school of hard knocks and was able to really learn. It was amazing to see, you know, six months after graduation, some of that stuff we learned was already starting to feel a bit antiquated. And so we needed to make sure with the limited time and budget and staff that we had, that we weren't wasting time on these older antiquated processes, but we were really moving forward. And so I think there's a, a time to show respect for what's worked in the past and honor what is still working but then always have one foot in this new world of we got to be on, on top of things. Um, and you know well, but we worked in the summer camp industry. So our core market was teenagers. So we had to be cool and, and on top of these platforms, but at the same time, making sure that we were staying true to our, our brand and who we had been as a, as a legacy brand. So it was a really interesting and absolutely fascinating time to be in to be in marketing. And then when I met you, you know, social media was just this this wild thing that nobody knew what was coming with that. (laughs)
0: So two two points about this I'm curious about which is one how in your role being accountable for pushing the organization forward also maintaining the things that have always worked how did you determine where to spend your time and how to allocate your time around like should we be on Snapchat mm-hmm. now should we so how did you go about assessing opportunities to determine what you should be doing in that role
1: yeah, so I was a big proponent of, of trying and testing, but always having, you know, most of our eggs in the basket that we knew worked, right? So we, you know, Instagram's a great example. Instagram came along and it seemed like people are, people are gravitating to this, but Facebook is still kind of a core where our audience is hanging out. So we were always nimble enough that we could move forward without neglecting what had what had worked for us. So it was always about just balancing time and, and money and resources into these are the things that we know are working. We have a marketing plan for the year, but 20, you know, 10, 20% of our time, efforts and energy are going to go towards these new things, because if we're not moving forward you know, we're going to die on the vine. So it was really just about balancing that and making sure that we weren't just chasing new things for the sake of chasing them, but really understanding, okay, our demographic, our audience is already there. Let's make sure that we have a presence there so we're keeping up with them.
0: When I think of you as a CMO and our interactions over the years, um, I'm struck by how well-rounded you always seem to me. Um, And I wanted to ask you about um, the... The kind of the skill set of the future of marketers because I, I think there's a perception out there when you say marketing that people just immediately think, oh, you're like the creative type, right? Like there's this kind of uh instinctual response that like the marketers are the kids that like didn't hang out in the finance classes. But as I watched um as I watched you work as a CMO, I was consistently struck by how many additional things were really on your plate. So uh, I want you to kind of rank these if you could in terms of, and, and I would not be surprised, of course, if you came back and said they're all equal, all important, but curious your perspective on it. So ranking these different things, because I saw these as being um, components of your work. So there's creativity as being one piece, organization, the ability to take and you know get projects across the finish line, mm-hmm. uh, the science of marketing, sort of the analytics and the testing and the uh, tracking and those sorts of things team management as being uh, the the fourth piece of it. Um, and let's just stick with those four. Let yeah. Those uh, I, I was gonna give you a fifth, but let's just stay with those four. So you've got those four pieces that are kind of responsibilities of a CMO. You've gotta be creative and constantly thinking about the next thing. You've mm-hmm. gotta be thinking about how you keep all of the teams organized and get projects across the finish line. You've gotta think about not just the creativity side, you know, the, the, the art of marketing, but also the science of marketing. And then you've got people to deal with how would you rank the importance of each of those different categories if you had to rank them one to four
1: so i would say that they shifted as my career shifted so at the beginning it was really about creativity because that was really the the area that i could play and i was an intern and then i was a marketing manager and director and so i I really kind of had that space to play in i learned very quickly that as the leader of the marketing team I had to have the organization and the time management and the team management you know, locked and loaded because that was my job that only I could do. We can hire a graphics designer. We can hire someone to make ads for us. Um, we brought in a team member who could physically make the ads um, inside of social media. But, but what I was really good at was organizing and managing the team. And over time, I really realized the importance of, of that because you know, if a team doesn't know what direction they're headed or what their priorities are, they're kind of lost. They don't know why we're doing something or when it's due. So I really, over time saw my value increase and the amount of time that it took me to properly manage a team increase dramatically. I talk about this a lot with people because I think managers, don't realize how much time it takes to be a good manager. So they think, well, my I have to be, you know, creative and checking the science of, of this marketing, underestimating dramatically how much time it takes to lead a team and to be a really good leader. So I would say to answer your question, at the beginning of my career career, the creativity was important. Then as analytics became more advanced, the science became really important. As I ended my career in in marketing, I would say the organization and the team stuff really took over for me personally in the role that I was in.
0: That makes sense. And and by the way, the fifth element I was going to add in there was vendor management, because I think mm. that that's you really excelled. Um, and we could do an entire episode just about that. <laughs> and but,
1: I consider that as um, part of managing the team, really, because to me, yeah. the vendors were such a critical component of our team. And you know, we should state I had a small, I had a small team um with a small budget, and we were a seasonal business. So it wasn't as if we had this luxury to say, Oh, we missed a deadline, let's do it again in six months. It's like, no, every single year we had new summer programs running. So we had to be organized, we had to be on a strict schedule, or like if we miss the season, we miss the business. (laughs) So that was really um, kind of a driving force behind everything that kept us really organized.
0: It's interesting that you put uh, vendor management in with team management. uh, And I think that probably is a clue to why you were so good at it is because, that really was um, one of the distinguishing features watching you work with other vendors was um, how much you invited them into the process and how much you tried to treat them like they were part of your team. So um, it's interesting you phrased it that way. I also think that it's really um, a, a good takeaway there that as you move into more of a leadership role, the uh, the pressure for you to be art and science of marketing, or even like in any role that you're doing, when once you're stepping more out of the doing and more into like the leading a team, the less your hard skills matter and the more your soft skills matter. Uh, and and I, I'm not classifying productivity and organization as a soft skill so much as the team management aspect. But I think that that's a really good takeaway for people when they think about their career in marketing, potentially thinking about how they can't just neglect those skills until they get to the role of leader, but that's something they need to be working on the whole time. And that if you're not excelling in the the art and science of marketing it may be difficult for you to get to that role where you're actually going to be able to oversee people yeah so it's it's a really um it's kind of a call to action to be like holistic in your thinking about your for sure
1: and the other thing i think is important just as a heads up to people is if you really love the creative side of it you love designing you love copywriting you love building websites you might not want to be the leader. And I think that's something that people just sort of say, well, my career path is this and I'm ultimately gonna be the leader. But being in a leadership role isn't for everyone. And if you really, like I talk a lot about the zone of genius, like what's your zone of genius? You know, What lights you on fire? What fuels you? If it's doing the physical creative work, then being the leader probably isn't going to satisfy you because you might, I never designed an ad or wrote a Facebook ad for the last, you know, two, three, four years. I, I proofread them. I looked at them. I gave my two cents, but I didn't create them. I didn't write them. And I think that's just something for people to be mindful of. Like if you don't want to be the leader, that's okay. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And, and I think another aspect of that, and this is um, just a prelude to my, my forthcoming book that's going to be coming out after The Lovable Leader. I've already begun planning it. Um, but this concept of role-based leaders, where if you're really good at graphic design, maybe the area of leadership you have is being a really kick-ass graphic designer. And when it comes time for those discussions, you step up and show leadership. But that doesn't mean you need a title change or need to have people under you or anything like that it just means that in that unique narrowly defined thing that you're like that's where i want to show leadership is in my particular skill set so i think the even the definition of leadership uh probably could expand a little bit to incorporate other people and give them the space to just be good at the thing that they're good at and show leadership in that in that way mm-hmm. um i think where this naturally leads us to is it's a good pivot point for us to talk about productivity because um, so much of your work at JKCP and coming out of that led you when, when you decided on a career shift after JKCP, you know, I remember you, us talking about a lot of different things and you, you were coming up with this idea of so productive and you gravitated towards this idea of productivity. And it's interesting because at the time you brought it up, I was like, but Sarah, you're a marketer. Like you're a marketer, you've been a CMO for all this time, you've been in marketing with productivity. And then when you started to explain it to me, it made a lot more sense. So help connect the dots for people um, that maybe weren't, uh, that, that maybe uh, are slow like me and didn't pick up on that connection of going from CMO to productivity coach. How did that occur to you that that was the logical next step for you?
1: Yeah. So really two to three years before I made the transition, I had this thing just gnawing at me and it was a positive gnaw, but it was there. And there was always this, you know, I love productivity. If there's a podcast about it, I'm listening to it. If there's a book, I'm reading it. It just like, gives me an energy I can't describe. And so I loved consuming the content. I love putting things into practice. I loved testing new productivity systems for myself, for my team. And so it just was something that I really, really naturally gravitated towards. So there was some respect. I couldn't ignore this anymore. I had to do something with it because I just had a, a force <laughs> driving me towards it. Um, on the other side of it, I practically, I had to be productive. I didn't have a choice. We had 25 summer camps. We had kids from 140 countries. We were on, I think we, we had at the, the highest point, like eight, Different college campuses that they were on. You know, this was a big operation. We had 500 seasonal staff that had to be hired, trained, managed. I mean, it, this wasn't like people think summer camp and think of this small thing and oh, that must have been a fun part-time job you did in the summer. No, this was a big business that was quite an operation, and it was seasonal again. So we had to have processes, we had to have systems, we had to get so much done with us with a small budget and a small team. So. I really didn't have a choice. And I developed these these systems that really worked. And that's when I said, you know, I can teach this to other people. I've been a, a burned out, stressed out, maxed out, busy professionals. And I really think I can help other people feel more at peace in the evening, more relaxed in the evening because they had a process and a system to get all their things done during the day. So it was you know, calling a force from the universe, you know, call it what you want. I I just like, I couldn't get away from productivity. It was, it found me.
0: (laughs) So before we get into, I want to talk a little bit about your productivity system that you've developed. Um, Before we get there though, I think this is a really interesting thing just to touch on really quickly is that you went from college to a job. You grew in that job for a long time. And then- you decided to become an entrepreneur. And I say decided because some people I think are are forced into the position. They're like, oh well, I guess I'll just start a business for myself because there's no other opportunities. But like, no, you had opportunities. You had yes. actually lined up. There were people that were like, I will hire you for this amount of money. Yeah. And um, and you were like, Yes, that seems like a lot of money. And say, so <laughs> I'm going to jump into the deep end and start my own business, which is a terrifying thing to most people. And looking at your, your entire setup, most people would probably assume that you would not do something like that, that you would not opt for the, the, um, the, the less safe route. And the fact that you're married to an entrepreneur, even more so you're thinking, well, let's all put our eggs in this unsafe. (laughs) So, Can you explain a little bit how you even came to decide to do this crazy thing that we do of like starting your own business and, and putting it all on yourself and all on your shoulders?
1: Yeah, so to the credit to the organization I was at, Julian Krinsky, and, and Julian Krinsky, the person, um, Adrian Costelli, Steve Robertson, th- this is a company that had really amazing leaders who taught me how to be an entrepreneur. Like I was learning in, in on the front lines. And so there's a book behind me and my color-coded, my color-coded books back there are called Rocket Fuel. And it's a book about uh, the visionary and the... Um, the, what is it, what's the term? Now I'm forgetting it, but it's basically the person who does all of the the work. And so it's an entrepreneur. And you were actually, Jeff, one of the first people who ever called me that. And what happened was the, the real entrepreneurs of our company were visionaries and they cast visions left, right, and center and would come back to the office and say, all right, Sarah, like, can you make this happen by two weeks from now? And I'd be like, yep. So I was always kind of forced into that role of, all right, I'll figure it out. Like, give me a deadline, give me a to-do list and I'll get it done and I'll just figure it out. And we were launching new camps that were, I mean, we had medicine, we had a Moneyball program with Wharton, things that I necessarily don't know about But I took it as an opportunity to learn, expand my horizon, and and grow. So I always saw these challenges as a growth opportunity. And that's really how I learned. You know, I I taught myself how to build a website because we needed it. And we felt like we were getting, you know, pricing too high. And so I taught myself that. You know, I taught myself how how to do ads. I taught myself HubSpot and then got certified. So I just think I was blessed to have the opportunity to be in an entrepreneurial minded company with with entrepreneurs at the helm. And that really taught me how to be an entrepreneur. And then I was in that intrapreneur space for many, many, many years. And it, you know, it's a big responsibility. And I had responsibility in my past career. So I wasn't afraid of that.
0: So that gave you some confidence, but you're still standing on the edge of the cliff. And you know that if you just turn around, there's plenty of safe ways to get to the bottom of that cliff. Nice, comfy, cozy, luxury sedan, take you all the way down to the bottom.
1: Yeah, so yeah.
0: I'll jump and I'll figure out how to build a parachute on the way down. Part of it was that you felt confident from being surrounded with the entrepreneurs, but that can't be all that it was. There had to be something else there. And, and the reason I ask is that, I'm trying to understand because you and I are different in this sense. I've never been able to do the thing that you did at JKCP, which is to have and hold down a job for any longer than like (laughs) a year and a half. I'm just not, I'm not built that way. I can't do it. And I've always really until almost entirely until I met you, I've believed that we're just two different types of people entirely, the entrepreneurs and the nine to fivers. Like we just... We have different brains. We look at things differently. We just are different. But you bridge the gap. You were like, I can play in both worlds. Mm. And most of the people that I know that played in the world that you previously were in are absolutely abject terrified of the entrepreneur life. And I know that for me, the idea of having a job is pure terror. (laughs) It's just like confining. I feel like I can't breathe. You're able to play in both. How did you there was a moment where you had to make a decision that you are, yeah, you're going to do this. And that is far larger than I think what we've talked about so far has given it credit for. How did you have the confidence in yourself that you could go and do this thing? Or the the, the why were you willing to roll the dice?
1: Yeah, no, it's a good question. And I also remembered the term from the book, which is an integrator. integrator. And the integrator helps the entrepreneurs get the things done. So I, I think that that's that's also... Really, part of it. Um, so for me, a lot of this was about permission, and I felt like I've been having this calling for a little while. I feel like I can, I can do this. I was listening to a ton of podcasts and reading books, and at some point, I just thought, well, if if those people can do it, you know, why why can't I? But when you talk about a moment it was really about permission. And it was about what do I want and what do I want my legacy to be and and what do I want to share with people. And Jeff, you and I have talked about this, but like I really want people to believe that they can get enough done, that they feel like they have a sense of calm so that they can really enjoy their lives. And I wanna give people permission to have freedom and choice in how they spend their time. So kind of all these things that are much deeper than productivity and getting things done was this driving force for me. And I just felt like if I'm capable and I have something that I need to share with the world, then this is my chance to do it. And truthfully, what's the worst that could happen, right? Because I... I can figure it out. If, if this doesn't if this doesn't work or or another thing I want to do doesn't work or a certain program I developed doesn't work, I'll adjust and adapt because I always have done that, but I really would have regretted not trying. And and now as I sit here, you know, a year later, I'm so I'm so grateful that I went for it, but I think it was really about like giving myself permission. And that's a, you know, that's a loaded word, but that was really the word that kept coming
0: back. I love it. So what do you do nowadays then? So I know what you do, but for those listening and to help set up when we move into the next phase, and we're going to talk about productivity. What do you do now? What are the sort of things that you generally offer to people? What do you, how do you spend your day? What is running your own productivity coaching business look like?
1: Yeah. So, you know, people are stressed and facing burnout at work all the time. So what I try to do is teach people how to clarify their thoughts, organize their work and take action so that they can have enough time at the end of the day to really relax and recharge. So how does that shake out, right? So it looks like I'm a a one-on-one coach. So I help busy professionals one-on-one who wanna do private coaching sessions with me to talk about their challenges, their productivity, their time management, the things that are keeping them awake at night, what's keeping them away from their families. And we work through uh, really implementing systems and best practices for them. And then on the other side of things, I'm doing a lot of training and speaking engagements right now because businesses have obviously, we've all transitioned to working from home. And pretty soon we're about to transition back. And that's been a really strange time for teams, for leaders, for employees. Everyone's had to shuffle around and, and adjust. So I'm doing a lot of speaking and training right now, um, clear communication, time management, setting boundaries, setting priorities, um, and training uh, teams on, on that front. So that's been a lot of fun.
0: If productivity were a pie chart, what percentage of it, what size of the pie would be the systems and processes, the hard skills of productivity, Versus the things that are more mindset related or potentially like soft skills, mm. communication, things like that. How would you break those down? Do you think it's a 50, 50 thing? Do you think that it's like an 80, 20 thing? Like how, how would you look at it?
1: Yeah, I would probably say it's 70, 30, 70 in the, in the mindset part, because it's so interesting. I talk about, and this is an example from Brene Brown, but when we text someone and we see those three little dots we fill in the blank of what's about to come back at us. So, you know, Jeff, are you mad at me? Dot, 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 dot. Dot, dot, dot. And then I'm waiting for your response. (laughs) And in the meantime, I'm thinking, oh gosh, he is so mad at me. He's, he's upset about this. Or I didn't get back to his email fast enough. And I fill in all of these blanks about what's going on. And I'm wasting a lot of time and mental energy thinking about that. So I I really believe a a lot of it is is this this mental part and how we're interpreting things, how we're valuing ourselves and our time, um, and, and how we interact with other people is a really big part of this. And then, yeah, 30%, the, the processes and procedures, which is almost the easier the easier part. It's certainly easier to implement, um, but I think that's where the, the coaching's helpful because we can get through some of that mindset stuff together. It's so
0: interesting to me that you framed it that way because I was not expecting that. It's like when I asked that question and your little, three little dots were going and you were about to answer that question. In my head, I was like, she's totally going to say, when you said 70-30, I was like, oh yeah, totally. 70% systems, 30% mindset. <laughs> and I think part of that is that for me, the, the approach to productivity, I feel like my mindset is geared towards it. Like I have priorities. I want to accomplish things. I know what I'm after. So just give me the systems to do it and I'll adhere to it. So like mindset, like I'm locked in and loaded. So when you said it the other way around, I I found that very interesting. Um, (laughs) All right. So let's go through your system a little bit. Um, Let's talk about that. So you have a system that you created. Uh, Talk us through that a little bit. And you alluded to it a little bit in talking about what it is that you do.
1: Yeah. So the first is clarify, and that's the, the C, so the, it's C-O-A-T, code. And the first is clarify, which is where people should be asking the question, what and why? And Jeff, you've been through a lot of, uh, you know, discovery meetings with people, proposals, working with different clients. This is actually a step that I find gets missed a lot, right? What are we doing? What is it exactly? And this is where you're getting clarity. Very specifically, we're gonna deliver these three points. We are gonna do this initiative. This is the expectation for this particular project. And you really can't get too granular here. The more clarity you can get on what you're doing, the better. So that's really the first step. The other part of clarify is why why are we doing it and there's a stat that 40% of employees have no idea how their work contributes to the to the greater goal of the company that's a lot yeah <laughs> And so, you know, when we're when we don't know why the work we're doing matters or 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 what the purpose of it really is, it's really demotivating, right? You're like, "Well, my boss isn't even going to notice I did I did this." Or, you know, this isn't contributing to the bottom line. This feels like I'm paper pushing and I'm doing busy work. And so, I, as leaders, it's really important to explain to your team Jeff, this project is so important because it's going to help the client with this. It's moving the business forward. So leaders should be able to explain why. But then the team member, it's a great opportunity to ask, you know, in a kind way, why are we doing this? <laughs> and and really get clarity around what and why. So that's the that's the C.
0: Got it. It's interesting as you're, and I've heard you talk about COAT before. And this is the first time I'm piecing together that there's actually a really direct line of sight between productivity and brand. If you don't know what the company is about and what you're trying to accomplish in the world, the productivity side of things, the tasks that are being assigned, the projects that are being uh, created, don't have any actual real context to it. And and for that stat that you gave about people not understanding how their work ties back to the bigger vision, if you don't have the bigger vision, if you don't have the bigger brand purpose then that's just naturally going to be missing in all of the work. I've never actually made that connection in, in hearing you talk about it before, but um, it's funny how so much of the business is all aligned.
1: Yeah. And, and it's about aligning your team. And honestly, a lot of why is aligning your own purpose. You know, I'm, I'm working with a client right now who's thinking about her career and, and is it time to make a transition? And so one of the things that we're working on is what do you want? Why are you doing what you're doing? And you know, it's, it's really thinking about purpose and what's important to you and what's really important to you. Cause it's so easy to say, Oh yep, I got to get all these tasks done today. Well, why, why yeah. do you have to get up and go work with the trainer at the gym? Why do you have to make an organic, very healthy carb-free meal? I don't know. You know, so it's like thinking about what's important to you. And maybe that, you know, like to me, exercise is important to me. I'm going to have that be a part of my day. Um, But it's not the same for everybody. So thinking about, you know, why these things really matter to you, why are these things on the to-do list? Why are these things, you know, eating up such a large portion of your day? So we could do a whole podcast about why, but. Yeah, for sure.
0: (laughs) Clarity being the first step. It's very similar to the first step in strategy is getting clear on like where we're going. What exactly are we doing? Where are we going? Why are we getting there? The whole thing. So now we've clarified things as the first step in our productivity journey. What do we do next?
1: So then we organize. So this is when we say, okay, we know what we're doing. We know we're going to do it. Now we need to organize when we're going to do it, where we're going to do it, and who is going to do it. So probably the easiest step is who. Is this something that I'm going to take on? Is this something I'm delegating to a team member? Who is responsible? Because so often, you, you, we've all gotten the email where there's five people on the email. And then we think, oh yeah, like Susie will respond or John will respond, and then nobody responds, right? So it's really critical when you're organizing your work to say, okay, Sarah, you're doing this, Jeff, you're doing that. So again, simple step, but that gets missed quite a bit. Um, the other thing is when. This is basically a due date. <laughs> again, another thing that gets missed a lot, and I always say, if you want it done, it needs a due date. Now. Due dates can change because people get really freaked out about due dates, but it is this uh, kind of guiding light to say, that's next Friday. We've got to prioritize that. We've got to get that done. And then the final step of organize is where. And this one's a little bit interesting because so often we can do work in various locations. So I have a, you know, my office is set up. I've got two screens when I'm recording a podcast. I have to be here. This is where my setup is for recording a podcast. There's other things that I can do that I could do from the sofa. There's little small tasks that I can do while I'm in the drive-through line at Starbucks. There are things that take, you know, five minutes. So it's really about assigning basically like a little tag to certain tasks to say, where am I going to get this task done? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Context, additional context. Got it. Okay, so we've clarified And then we've gone about organizing. Is there anything else on organizing that you want to touch on before we move to uh, the next step in the process?
1: Yep. No, that's it for organized. So when, where, who, Uh, then it's time to action, right? You're going to get these tasks done. So you have to think about how you're going to do that and then just really outline the task. And so this is where you'll take your, you know, setting three priorities for tomorrow, putting those things on your calendar. This is how you're gonna get it done. And again, this isn't rocket science, but one of the things I hear a lot from people is, you know, I have a goal or I wanna write a book one day. And I say, how much time are you taking every week to do that? I haven't worked on that in three years, but I wanted to. (laughs) And so this concept of action is really about how you're gonna get it done, breaking down the simple tasks to to get it done. You know, if you want to write a book, break it down into, I'm going to write, you know, a hundred words a day. Great. And then put that on your calendar. So you sure, surely have the time to take action. So that's that step.
0: Got it. Um, I like real quick. I just want to point out that you, you place prioritization inside of action, which I think is interesting because under organize you have due dates. And I think so often people, um, they confuse when something is due versus when something's a priority. Yes. Because you may have to mail a letter tomorrow, and you may also have to get a proposal in the mail that's worth $100,000 um, or, or, or via email or something, let's say, right? N- they may be due on the same time, but one is a higher priority than the other. And I think it's important at that action stage to really to elevate that, uh, that concept of being more thoughtful about your priorities versus just about what's due. So I appreciate that you move that into the action stage rather than having it during the organization stage. Uh, Although I'm sure there's some prioritization that you would do there, but I like that prior to taking action, really asking yourself, is this something that helps to feed the priorities that I currently have? So I like that you you elevated that. All right. So what's the final step in the process?
1: So this is the fun one. This is T. This is take time. And this is really about taking time, taking a break, celebrating your accomplishments. So, I I surveyed a lot of busy professionals and I said, "You know, how do you what do you do when you finish a big project? How do you celebrate that?" Oh, nothing. I don't. Am I supposed to be doing that? And I got just like the funniest answers from people. And we are so guilty of, "Okay, I finished the task, on to the next thing. I finished the task, on to the next thing." Yep. Because we're typically, you know, high achievers, and we want we want to get so much done. But our bodies physically need to reset. We need to recharge. If we're going to be our best selves tomorrow, we need to rest tonight and get a good night's sleep and not be up stressed all night long. So this is really about hitting the reset button, but also giving yourself a pat on the back. And that could be, you know, I, I wrapped up recording this podcast with you. I think it's great. I'm going to go grab a cup of tea afterwards before I dive into the next project. So it can be something small. It can be something we launched a new website and that was huge. I'm going to take a couple days off or I'm going to book a vacation. So I think it's really just about taking a few moments, uh, big or small, to just honor yourself. Like you're getting, you're probably getting more done than you even imagine. And so it's just important to honor yourself. And then it's also a great time to honor team members say thank you. You know, thank you goes such a long way. And it's just a a thing that we we write in our email. Oh, thanks. Thank thank you. Like, I got it. But I think it's appropriate to take time to really say, hey, Jeff, like what you did today was great. And I really appreciate you doing that. That helped our team a lot. So it's time for yourself and also time to just, you know, honor those who helped you get there.
0: Um, Is there one of those that you think, one, by and large, people struggle with the most? And then being introspective and vulnerable for us—is there one that you struggle with the most?
1: Yeah. Well, guilt. People feel really guilty about taking time. They feel like, well, you know, it's it's my job to do that, so I'm just going to move on to the next thing, or I I need to work to a certain you know time on the clock to to get things done. So people feel really guilty about taking little breaks or taking a moment for their for themselves. Um, yeah, I'm guilty of it also, <laughs> for sure. I'm guilty of being guilty. Um, because it is, we we want to accomplish more. And as a driven entrepreneur, I always am, you know, on and I, I oh, I could get a few more things done. I could talk to a few more people. I could be on a few more podcasts. Whatever it is, and so it's it's definitely about creating some balance and some boundaries for yourself to say, you know, I did enough today. This feels good. I'm going to take the night off.
0: That's awesome. So for people who were to implement something like this, what's sort of your big hope? for people walking away from this episode or people that uh, choose to work with you. What's your big hope for them? And then kind of domino effect, what's your hope of what that that leads to out, out in the world in the climate and the culture?
1: Yeah, well, this culture of work and this rat race and we're always on and we have our devices at our fingertips and we need to respond 24 seven. Whenever someone messages us, we have to respond you know, it's, it's, it's not helping anybody. And burnout is now officially recognized by the World Health Organization as an official condition. So this is real. This is not something to mess around with. So if you're feeling stressed, burned out, overwhelmed, like take this podcast episode as your, as permission, as this is a time to hit the reset button, because you don't have to live that way. You can be successful Between the hours of nine to five, you can get so much work done if you are, you know, focused on the right things that are really important to you and move the needle for you. So I just want to empower people to say, you know, this, you don't have to live this way. You don't have to be stressed out and maxed out forever. There is another way and I can help you get there.
0: Awesome. That's fantastic. Well, Sarah, you have been a phenomenal guest. I had no doubt that you would be. For people that are interested in learning more about you, learning more how they can work with you, where they can pick up any of your free material and insights and ideas, uh, this is a chance in your show, in the show to just completely promote yourself <laughs> unabashedly. Uh, shameless self-promotion time. Go for it.
1: Well, working with a coach is a real personal experience, so I think it's great for you to get to know me, connect with me, follow me on Instagram, uh, So productive. I also have a free guide for everybody listening today because setting priorities is really important right now. It's something that we're all faced with. So I have 10 questions to ask when you're setting priorities, and these are really critical questions you can just shoot through and say, oh, nope not a priority or I'm I'm moving that to a different day. So you can find that at so-productive.com slash priorities.
0: Awesome, and then one thing I'll add in there that's promotion on both of our behalves uh, is that both you and I are Asana certified pros uh, and recently have been working on some uh, joint projects together and putting together a joint offering. So if you're out there and your organization uses Asana and is having some trouble figuring out how to maximize the potential of it, uh, Sarah and I both work together to uh, create an offering that can help supercharge Asana at your organization. Uh, And we come at it from slightly different angles. So you're getting a really uh, 360-degree view you of how to be more productive and um, more priority driven at work. So, if you're interested in that, uh, we'll put some links in the uh, show notes and you can connect with either of us or you can connect with either of us individually. Those are always in the show notes as well. Um, Sarah, you've been a phenomenal guest. Uh, the content was really valuable, I think. Uh, your methodology is really useful. It's something that people should do themselves and they should probably tell other people about. And if they tell other people about it, I guess that would make it shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay, if you enjoy shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing.